If you're listening to this, then I have a strong feeling that you are an amazing individual that might be just feeling a little bit stuck, maybe even a little bit jaded, because you've done a lot. You've accomplished a lot. And you did everything that you were, quote-unquote, supposed to do to live a, quote-unquote, successful life. Yet why is it that something still feels missing? You see, Simon Sinek once shared this story where he was coaching a group of individuals that were very successful entrepreneurs. Uh, They all had at least seven figures of revenue in their business. And he asked the group a question. He said, how many of you here have achieved your revenue goals for the year? And he said 80% of the room raised their hand. Then he asked the group, how many of you feel successful? And out of the people who raised their hands, 80% of them put their hands down. And this just goes to show that even though a lot of people are successful on paper, based on what other people define as success, they don't actually feel successful. It doesn't feel as good as you think it would feel. So I started this journey because the same thing happened to me. I got the good job, went to a good school, all that good stuff. I got the six-figure salary right out of graduation, yet I was feeling so jaded. I did everything that the American dream said you should do. Why didn't it feel that great? And if I was being honest, it was because I wasn't living the life that I love to live. I was living the life where I was just existing, not living, going through with emotions. And I started getting really jaded. And one day I decided to start exploring follow my curiosity, follow my heart, and really try to understand what does it look like to live a full life. And I found the answer when I discovered neuroscience. The big aha for me was learning about how the brain works and how it actually works against you for most of your life. This is the only reason why we get stuck. And what's exciting is there is a way to tap into some of the amazing qualities that you have that you probably know deep down is there. It's just probably sleeping because, you know, life can be pretty stressful a lot of times and busy and overwhelming. And I'm really excited to share with you what I've learned on what to do about it so that you can start activating your superpowers. But first, fun music. Hello, this is Dr. Eugene K. Choi, and you are listening to the Neurohacking Podcast. If you're a heart-driven leader, then this podcast will show you the proven, science-based ways to tap into your unique superpowers. That way, you develop the skills to perform and feel at your best. And believe it or not, the only reason you get stuck and get uninspired and unmotivated is because your brain's been programmed to behave that way. And I started this podcast to show you how to rewire those parts of your brain that aren't serving you so that you can learn the skills to activate your highest levels of performance. 
get your energy back, and find the clarity you need right now on how to powerfully create that life that you alone were meant to live. All using science that you can learn to use. All without complicated science terminology, no self-assessments that don't improve anything for you in the long term, and no hyped up personal development seminars getting you to jump up and down with strangers only to come home and go back to your old ways. So you're listening to episode one, and today we talk about how to activate your brain's superpowers. Have you ever had this experience where you hear something inspirational, like a TED talk, or being at an event with an amazing motivational speaker, where you get all hyped up, and you're all excited, and you're ready to make some real change in your life? You might hear a message, something like this. This is the time to ask yourself, where are you? Because I don't think you're asking yourself this question enough. Somebody told you to just graduate high school, graduate college, get a job, work that job the rest of your life, have kids, get married and die. Somebody told you that. But I want to ask you, what do you want? What do you believe you were destined to do? And then you got to spend every single solitary day for the rest of your life going after that dream. What is your dream? Feels inspiring, doesn't it? But when you go home, and eventually when the adrenaline wears off, that excitement fades. And you kind of just settle back into your old routine ways of living life. Because life gets busy. It gets overwhelming. And it gets messy. Well, that was me for most of my life. In fact, I was actually an inspiration junkie. I was the type to read and watch personal development content during my leisure time. It's what I would do for fun. And when I'd be feeling down, I'd look for the next best thing in hopes for it to inspire me. And sometimes when I was feeling bold, I'd actually try to change. I tried to do the things that those influential personal development people tell you to do, like just do it or overcome your fears or work harder. And I did that. I traveled to some of the most remote areas of the world to work on some amazing humanitarian projects. I got my doctorate degree in pharmacy with that six-figure salary right after graduation. And then I even quit that high-paying job to start making films. And those films generated millions of views and I was able to work with multiple celebrities, which was really cool, but I'd still end up so stuck no matter how much I tried. And I was starting to get depressed because no matter what I accomplished, for some reason, I was still feeling unfulfilled. It felt like something was severely wrong with me and that I'd never figure out how to solve this inner conflict of not feeling inspired, empowered, or motivated on a daily basis. You know, I wasn't waking up every morning looking forward to the day. I wasn't loving my life, even though I had everything that many people would kill to have. And I was working way too much and never satisfied with anything I accomplished, even though some of those accomplishments were pretty impressive by average standards. So the highs were really high, but the lows were super low. Even though I had everything I thought I wanted, I was still stressed, still anxious, and still afraid. And I got really jaded. So I had a choice. Either give up, 
and just settle where I just submit that maybe the truth is that life just sucks and there's nothing you can do about it or put in the energy to try to figure out what I can do to find the clarity I need on how to make the changes I need to live the life I wanted. So you're listening to me today because I started this mission to figure out how exactly to activate your greatest potential, like for real. So I first started working in film because I loved stories. I found it so interesting that even as adults, we like to sit in a dark room at the movie theater basically to just be told a story. And I was thinking about why do so many people love stories? And that's when I realized it's because every great story is about a character who comes out at the end transformed. And deep down, I think all of us are longing to go through this great type of transformation ourselves. And I think that's why the routine lifestyle goes against our nature. And that's why you feel stuck when there's this lack of growth. I mean, even at a cellular level, you're always growing. You have new cells being produced all the time. I'll give you a few examples. Your red blood cells, the cells in your blood that provides oxygen to your body and keeps you alive, all of those cells get replaced every two to four months. Your skin cells last only about two weeks before new cells replace them. So every two weeks, you basically have new skin. And if you just add everything up, pretty much all of your cells are replaced on an average of every seven years, more or less. That's like saying you're a brand new person, basically, on an average of every seven years. We're just wired to grow, if you think about it. Because if you're not growing, then you're not living. And it feels like you're dying. So looking into this, it started this journey for me of trying to understand how can people make that significant type of transformation in real life? The type of transformation that you really want but are too afraid to make. The one where you know that if you succeeded, you'd grow into the person that you're longing to be. Where you finally feel the most alive. Because honestly, I was tired of just consuming personal development content all the time, trying to get my fix of inspiration without any important changes occurring in my life. So I started to question a few things. Why is it that all those people who had those inspirational stories of change live such successful lives, but it's common for a lot of the people that follow them not get the same type of results? We hear about these people who've paved their own way to success, and they give advice like dream bigger, work harder, Pursue your passion. But how do they do it so well? And so many of the people that they tell it to don't follow through. I mean, I heard from plenty of people saying they went to this great event or did this amazing workshop only to observe later down the line they're not getting the results that they wanted. And that's when I realized what's happening for so many people is the same thing that was happening for me. Just like people can get addicted to a drug, we can get addicted to inspirational content where we would much rather rely on something outside of us to inspire us rather than truly understand and have that clarity around what it is that innately inspires us so that we don't need to be dependent 
on those outside things. That's when something clicked for me. You see, it's like kind of like this experience where imagine you're watching the cooking channel and you work really hard to follow every step-by-step instruction that the chef is giving you. And then you get all the ingredients, you put everything together, everything's ready. So you put it in the oven, set the timer and the timer goes off and then you pull out your dish and you're looking at your dish and then you're looking at the dish that the chef made on the screen and noticing that yours looks nothing like it. Why is that? You see, it's because the chef has a much deeper understanding of what they're doing. They don't know just what to do, but they also have a deep understanding of how to go about it and why to go about it that way. Whereas as the newbie trying to cook for the first time, you're just being told what to do without having an understanding of how to go about it and why. And that's why a lot of personal development content has been failing people. The experts provide a lot of content focused on what you should do. Go meditate more. Go practice gratitude more. Go journal more. Go fix your morning routine a little bit more. But it's a little bit easier said than done, isn't it? It's like we try to follow what they say. It's usually helpful a little bit, but we're not really getting what we're needing. Seriously, when when has it ever worked? When you're frustrated and you're trying to figure stuff out and you're feeling really stuck and someone just orders you to, you know what, just be more grateful for what you have. Like, when has that ever worked? Do you really just sit there and go, wow, I'm feeling so grateful now. Thank you for solving all of my problems. When someone just says what to do, that's why it's not entirely effective. Yes, it helps some people, but what I found for the majority, it's not that helpful because there's a lack of clarity still. Usually already know what to do, but because you don't know how to go about it and why, that's why you usually end up not taking action, doesn't it? Think about if you had more clarity around how to go about making the changes in your life to discover and activate those unique skills and talents that you alone have, wouldn't you just be a little bit more excited to do it rather than it being one of those things where You know it's good for you, but you don't feel like doing it, so you don't do it. It's lacking that motivation, that inspiration. And that's when I realized many of the successful personal development people who are high-performing and are also actually happy and feeling at their best, they have a deeper understanding of a few things. And that's what makes the difference between them and the people who still stay stuck. So I started to question what are those things? What, what do I need to understand to really start getting the results that I'm looking for? And that's when my healthcare background finally felt useful for me because I had this big aha moment on the answer to this exact question. And the answer has to do with using the most powerful piece of technology that exists in this world. And that's your brain. Isn't it interesting how the single factor that has transformed civilizations and developed some of the most advanced technology all traces down to our brains? Yet why is it that even though our brains are one of the most sophisticated pieces of technology in the world, it doesn't come with a manual on how to best use it? 
That's the journey I embarked on to figure out. I wanted to see if there was this manual that existed to be able to turn on the best part of your brain at will. Can people learn how to do this? And guess what? You can. And it's simpler than you might think. It's a really exciting time because we know more about the brain than we ever did before 20 years ago. So when I first started researching about the brain more extensively, I came across this book by a physician, Dr. Dan Siegel, called Mindsight. He's this amazing psychiatrist that shows some very compelling medical evidence on how the brain works and what you can do to develop a healthy mind. And he's helped a ton of people. He's healed people from trauma, uh, PTSD, and all the mental health issues that you can think of. It was a bit of a heavy read, but as I started processing it and putting the pieces together on what he's explaining, I came across this huge epiphany. Even though our brain is extremely sophisticated, there was one simple thing that's very easy to understand that once you understand this, you begin that journey to significantly improve your performance, find your inspiration, and feel at your best. So I started researching further and further to see if what I've realized was true. I started consulting with clinical psychologists, medical doctors, and neuroscientists to confirm the simple thing that I've come to was actually true. And I got validation that I was correct. So the big epiphany was this. It's that your brain is only ever in one of two states. That's it. It's one of two states. And these two states are what's called the survival state or the executive state. So what are these two states? Let's go into that. The survival state is a state where the part of your brain that's on is a small part in the back called the amygdala. And the role of the amygdala is to help you stay alive. It's to help you survive. So think about a life-threatening situation. Imagine you're in front of a tiger that's about to eat you. You're going to need to survive from this. And the way it helps you survive is by either doing one of three things. It's either fight, flight, or freeze. It's that fight, flight, freeze response you hear about, right? You're either going to try to pick up a weapon to defend yourself, that's fight, or you're going to run away, run as fast as you can, that's a flight response, or you actually just freeze, uh, kind of like playing dead. I hope if I'm playing dead and the uh, predator thinks I'm dead, maybe it'll leave me alone. So the thing to know about these three responses is when you're in this state, you're actually not thinking. You're literally not thinking. You're just in a reactive state because... If you're in front of that tiger and it's about to eat you, there's no time to think. If you start thinking, you're already dead. So that's the important thing to know about the survival state. It's a part of your brain that doesn't think. It just can't do that because of the function of needing this reactive response because that's what actually keeps you alive. And we're going to go deeper into this in a moment. The other state is the executive state. So the executive state is where basically all of the amazing things that you're capable of, it comes from being in this executive state. Your critical thinking skills come from your executive state. Your problem-solving skills come from this state. Your executive function, which basically is a fancy way of saying it's your ability to make good decisions, and your creativity, and the list goes on and on. It all comes from being in an executive state. 
So when you're in this state, one of the cool parts of your brain that's on is called your prefrontal cortex. It's right behind your forehead. So when you're in this executive state, as a result, this is where you start generating your best ideas. You discover answers to tough problems. You experience a phenomenal breakthrough. You find that clarity on how to create the change that you're looking to make. And when you're in this state, you have a feeling of deep fulfillment and joy. So the key thing to understand is that you're only in one of the two states at any given time. You can't be in both. It's one or the other. It means that if you're in survival state, then your executive state, where all those superpowers come from, is turned off and vice versa. So the reason why your brain actually works against you for a lot of your life is because we're in the survival state for about 70% of our adult lives. That's what the research shows. But if the survival state is only for life-threatening situations where you might die in the moment, then why is it on for so much of our lives if we're not actually in a life-threatening situation? And what I found is that it's because of fear. You see, research shows that emotional pain can be just as painful as physical pain. So a lot of the survival that's going on in our brains is emotional survival. That's where the fear comes from. Whether it's fear of the unknown, having anxiety about your future, worrying about money, the fear of not being good enough, where you enter into this tendency to overwork to a really unhealthy level to try to prove yourself quote unquote worthy. You see those times where you feel excited about something and you don't follow through with taking action or those times you know something is good for you, but because you don't feel like it, you don't do it. I can guarantee you it's coming from a survival state. There is some sort of survival activity happening in the brain. So bottom line, what does this mean? Being in survival is the only reason you're not producing your best results. I want to say that again. Being in survival state is the only reason you're not producing your best results. And remember, this is because when your survival state is on, the executive state is off. The part of your brain that can connect the dots that leads you to experiencing a breakthrough or the part of your brain that your critical thinking skills come from so that you can solve a difficult problem or that part of your brain where your creativity comes from so that you can see things that you normally didn't see before and now you're getting to a better place because of it comes from the executive state and it's off for most of your life. So I was thinking to myself, really, 70% of our whole adult lives, that's that's quite a lot, isn't it? For a major majority of our lives, we're, we're just in a reactive state where we're not thinking and we're just reacting to a whole bunch of different things. So I started looking into why this might be true. So first I looked at the media. Here's the type of things you usually hear about. Now to another grim milestone, the world surpassing one million deaths from the coronavirus. Breaking news Richard George Floyd protests turned destructive in parts of Manhattan. Police believe the destruction is a result of organized anarchists infiltrating peaceful protests, finding areas where police are not present. On the scene and in Florida, chaos. where another community is in disbelief, shocked by devastating violence, this time at that Florida high school on Valentine's Day. Here's what we know at this hour at least 17 people have been killed, students and adults, at least 15 injured, and the shooter, 19 year old Nicholas Cruz, is in custody. Okay, so. I can see how being exposed to this type of content can trigger fear in people, wouldn't it? And when you get fear, you 
turns on your survival response. So you enter into that survival state. And then you have social media. I want you to take a quick listen to this clip from the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. We evolved to care about whether other people in our tribe think well of us or not, because it matters. But were we evolved to be aware of what 10,000 people think of us? We were not evolved to have social approval being dosed to us every five minutes. That was not at all what we were built to experience. While it's been this amazing way of creating connection with each other, there is a dangerous part to this too, isn't it? It's this culture of comparison where we are comparing ourselves to other individuals where you feel like, why is my life not as exciting as that person's life? Even though that person's probably just posting up content to just show their best and not showing the not so sexy parts of their lives that everyone has. And it creates this kinds of toxic culture in a sense where it's kind of not authentic anymore, is it? Can you see how all of this type of culture in social media can trigger fear of some sort? Fear of not having the reputation that you want, right? We fight for our reputations. It's kind of scary because you do one embarrassing thing in high school, for example. Now everyone can know about it simply by somebody posting it on social media. So we always fight for our reputation out of the fight, flight, freeze response. We tend to fight, whether it's fighting against the insecurities that we have about ourselves, fighting against not being noticed or having the attention that we want, whatever that is, this culture can trigger that survival state in us, doesn't it? And how about the people who aren't always consuming media? Because not everyone's always, always on media and social media. So I was trying to look into, like, why would it still trigger a lot of survival state in people? There's also culture. How much pressure and expectation have you felt just from culture, whether it's society, your ethnicity? There's all this pressure sometimes, isn't there? The pressure to perform at work, the pressure to look a certain way or be a certain way or act a certain way. Or even with family, have you ever had parents that were very controlling to a degree? where they had a strong opinion about how you should live your life, who you should date, what job you should take, and the list goes on. So think about all of these things, the types of pressure and the stress and the fear and the frustration that we get from things like media, culture, social media, family. Think about what it does to your brain. Does it make you feel good and in a state of creativity and high performance? Or does it make you feel things like fear, anxiety, and frustration? So now it was starting to hit me why most people would be in that survival state for about 70% of their adult life. It's because everyone is surviving from something. Because they feel the need to survive from it. And all of this triggers you to enter into that reactive fight, flight, freeze state that only keeps you stuck and you see, one of the things I discovered that really clicked into place for me was that the brightest minds understood this dynamic between the survival state and the executive state to some degree. For example, Albert Einstein once said, the most important decision we make is whether we believe we live in a friendly or hostile universe. Isn't that really interesting? I want to share with you from a scientific perspective what that looks like. Imagine you believe 
you live in a hostile universe where people are out to get you. You're all alone in this. You have to fend for yourself. No one's out there for you. How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel safe? And if it doesn't make you feel safe, does it make you feel the need to protect yourself? Because guess what? When you feel the need to protect yourself, which state do you enter into? You get into this survival state. And remember, when you're in survival state, you're not thinking anymore. You're just starting to react in one of three ways. It's going to be a fight, flight, freeze response, right? You might get defensive and fight, or you might work harder to fight, to prove yourself worthy, whatever that looks like. Or you might flight, where you procrastinate or avoid the thing that you know is good for you. And you eventually even numb yourself by distracting yourself intentionally, whether it's a nice day of binge watching Netflix or overindulging in alcohol, sex, or drugs, or you freeze. That's when you go into inaction. You just don't make decisions because you don't want to deal with the overwhelm of stress. That's what happens when you believe you're in a hostile universe. All of these things happen reactively without us thinking because of our perspective. Now, think about if you actually believe you're in a friendly universe. Do you feel the need to survive? Do you feel the need to protect yourself in some way? You don't. And hence, you're able to activate that executive state where everything you need comes from. This is where your best ideas come from. This is where opportunities and solutions that you thought didn't exist reveal themselves. And I know one of the things you might be thinking is, well, hold on, but we do live in a hostile universe. And you're saying that because you've had so many experiences of getting screwed over, betrayed, rejected, whatever the case may be. And that's totally fair of a perspective. And I just want to take a moment for us to look at what happens in the brain, though. Because when you're believing you live in a hostile universe, you enter into this state where you're cutting yourself off from the very things that will help you get the solutions that you need. And that's it for now. My ask is to just take a moment to simply just look at it from this scientific perspective on how your brain works and what it does based on your perspective. And we can go deeper into this in later episodes. And as I did more research, what was most interesting was that I discovered that behind the scenes, this principle applied to everything the personal development people were talking about. And I want to give you four sets of mindsets here to examine and show you how this science of survival state and executive state actually applies to all of this behind the scenes. So think about this. The first set of mindsets is the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. There's an amazing individual, her name's Carol Dweck, and she did this great research and she coined this terminology around the growth mindset uh, versus the fixed mindset. She was doing this whole research where she was studying some really, really successful individuals trying to understand, well, what is the commonality between all of them? Because a lot of them have different personalities, they operate differently and all that kind of stuff. And what she found in common with all of them was they all had what's called a growth mindset. A growth mindset is the belief that you always have something to learn and you actually find joy in that because you're always growing. And it comes from this place of curiosity, doesn't it? If you think about it, you have to be curious in order to learn more. You have to be curious to explore more. And the thing is, when you're in a survival state, you can't be curious, right? Because if your life is in danger, your curiosity will literally get you killed. So curiosity, it comes from being in the executive state only, when you're actually safe, when you're feeling safe, versus a fixed mindset. The fixed mindset is the belief that 
I know everything there is to know. I've been around the block. I get everything. I've done this a long time. There's nothing new for me to see. This fixed mindset is actually a survival mechanism, usually of the ego. Whether it's because someone had a experience being called out for not knowing something and got yelled at at school, or whatever it was, there may be this insecurity around not knowing stuff. So. It tends to create the survival response where if you know people that hate being wrong, they always have to be right. They're always very defensive, even though they're wrong. It's a fixed mindset because there's some sort of sensitivity there around not knowing something, and that's a survival state because you're trying to help your ego survive. But what happens is when you're in the survival state, remember you're not thinking; you're just reacting. So you'll never learn anything new. You're gonna. That's the only reason you stay stuck. So can you see how the growth mindset comes from being in an executive state, and a fixed mindset comes from being a survival state? Pretty cool, huh? And I want to share the next type of mindsets is the abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset. So you hear this terminology a lot in the spiritual community or the New Age community. And I just want to examine it from the science standpoint. The abundance mindset is the belief that. You have everything that you need, no matter what. Everything you need will be provided to you. Doesn't that feel great if you actually believe that? So, because it feels so good, and and you feel safe, right? You don't feel worried about not having enough things. And guess what? That enables you to turn on. It's your executive state. Now, think about a scarcity mindset. The scarcity mindset is the belief of I don't have enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough skills. I don't have enough whatever. What does that trigger you to do? It triggers you to survive, doesn't it? And this not enough mentality turns on the part of your brain that can't think, the part of your brain that can help you find those solutions to the problem that you're experiencing. So this is why poor people tend to stay poor. You know, one of the types of arguments I remember hearing around why poor people stay poor was because they don't work hard enough, and I totally disagree with that statement because people who are poor who don't have enough money, it's going to trigger your survival state because money literally helps you survive, doesn't it? It puts food on the table, it pays your rent, and it helps you get by. So, people who don't have enough money literally enter into this state where they now. Are reacting without thinking, so a lot of them just fight, right? They just fight, fight, fight to make money, and that's why they stay poor because the part of their brain that has the critical thinking skills to figure out how to get them out of the low-income scenario can't turn on. This is why when they research the group of low-income individuals, asking them this simple question of how do you plan to get yourself out of this financial situation and improve it. Majority of them would literally answer, "Win the lottery," like they meant it, because their critical thinking skills aren't on, right? So this is why, unfortunately, a lot of poor people are easy to manipulate. You hang this false promise of, you know, you'll make a million dollars overnight, and they're all over it. It's because the part of their brains that can think long term and figure out how can I really get out of this scenario, it doesn't happen. It's always this lottery mentality. Give me the magic answer. Give me the silver bullet. It comes from being in that scarcity mindset. And it doesn't serve you. It doesn't get you what you need. So, can you see how abundance mindset comes from being in an executive state, and a scarcity mindset activates the survival state? The next type of mindset is an ownership mindset versus a victim mindset. The ownership mindset is believing and understanding 
that you are responsible, fully responsible for your feelings, your actions, and your behaviors, and that you have the ability to change what you need to change in order to improve. Compare that to a victim mindset, which is the behavior where you don't take ownership. In fact, a lot of blaming tends to happen because blaming is actually a survival response. It's that type of behavior or thinking where because you did this thing, it made me feel that way. You're the reason why I don't feel good. That's actually a blaming tactic. And blaming is actually a survival response. Because, for example, have you ever had that type of person that just tries to make you make the decision all the time and they never want to make the decision? That's actually a victim mindset. This is why people who are afraid to move forward, they just go around asking people, just tell me what to do. And then they'll do it because, hey, at least if I do this and things don't go well, I have someone to blame. And that's the mentality around the victim mindset. There's no ownership there. And this gets really dangerous because the person with the victim mindset will engage in a lot of self-destructive or unhealthy behavior. And for example, if their friends call this person out and say, you need to get help, you need to go see someone. And imagine this victim mindset individual go to a therapist and the therapist is getting to know them and explains to them, hey, you do this really unhealthy thing because when you were five years old, this thing happened to you. And the person in the victim mindset will sit there and go, oh, I, I see why I do that. And then they never change. They go back home. They do the same things and their friends call them out again. And they're like, I thought you were seeing someone. Why are you still doing this? You know what they're going to say? They're going to say something like, you know, when I was five years old, this trauma happened to me and that's why I do this. They use the information that they get to justify the continuation of their unhealthy behavior. They don't take ownership of their life. And that's a survival tactic is to blame, is to not take ownership, not take responsibility because of that fear of being accountable, right? Like imagine you make a decision for your life because you wanted to do something important that was meaningful to you. But what if things don't go well? The thought of having ownership over that is scary, isn't it? So this is why as a survival tactic, we try to place the responsibility on others. That's why you see some people go through the craziest traumas and overcome them and make a huge impact on other people's lives versus the other person who stays in the victim mindset feels they have no control over it and they stay stuck in suffering. Now, I just want to make sure I express I, there's no judgment around this. I'm just sharing it because I find it interesting that how two people can go through a similar scenario and different results happen. And is it possible that result is determined by the mindset that they decide to approach it from? So when you're in an ownership mindset, that comes from being in an executive state versus a victim mindset, which puts you in a reactive survival state. Now let's go over the last types of mindset, which is the selfless mindset versus selfish mindset. The selfless mindset comes from being in the executive state because the executive state, one of the things that you're able to do when you're in this state is have empathy. Because guess what? That prefrontal cortex we talked about earlier, that's where empathy comes from. It doesn't come from your survival brain. Because when you're in your survival brain, guess who you're thinking about? It's yourself, right? Because if your life is in danger, this is not a time to be having empathy. If that tiger is about to eat you and kill you, you're not going to be sitting there going, hmm, I wonder what kind of things are going on in this tiger's brain right now. I wonder what he worries about. You're not thinking about things like that. You're thinking about yourself as, oh crap, I'm about to die. I need to figure out a way to protect myself. 
So when you're in survival, the focus is on yourself versus when you're in an executive state, you're actually able to have empathy. And as a result of empathy, you're able to feel a sense of connection with someone. And this was a huge learning for me because as I started doing this type of work, it was really transforming my life. And I want to give a specific example. When I had kids, I would have anger issues at times where I would snap and yell because they weren't listening or whatever, right? They were doing things that kids usually do. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, you, you would justify it with things like, oh, they made me angry because they didn't listen, even though I told them 10 times. Or you would think thoughts like, you know, this is the only way to get them to understand and learn what I'm trying to teach them. They only hear me when I'm yelling at them. And I, I realized all of these types of thinking were just justifications um, that weren't actually true. Here's what I mean. What I found was anger, for example, is actually a survival emotion. It's out of the fight, flight, freeze response. It's a fight response, right? Because you get angry when you feel a boundary has been crossed. So for me, that boundary was my sensitivity and fear about being a bad dad because my relationship with my own father wasn't the greatest. And I was very sensitive about that. Like one of the things I used to tell myself is I'm never going to be like my dad. Uh, I want to be the greatest dad ever to, you know, prove him wrong or whatever, right? So because I had this sensitivity about being a bad dad, whenever my kids wouldn't listen to me, the way my brain would process that information is, hey, because your kids aren't listening, this means you're a bad dad. So now I'm reacting, right? Out of the fight, flight, freeze response, it's fight, which is I would get angry, I would yell, I would try to control the situation. When all I'm doing for my kid is just scaring them and it's not helping them learn anything at all. So what I thought was I was trying to do it for them was actually doing it for me. The focus wasn't on my kid. I wasn't having any empathy. I was not connecting with my child in these moments that they actually probably needed my help. And instead I was just scaring my child because of my anger. So being in a selfless mindset only happens when you're in an executive state because empathy comes from that executive state versus when I'm in anger or frustration or anxiety or, or any of those other survival emotions that don't feel that great. Now I'm in a survival state because when you're in a survival state, guess what? You're focused on yourself, whether it's your own fears or your anxieties or your insecurities. So that was the big discovery is that survival state is the only reason that would prevent you from being at your best because of all these reasons I mentioned. It's the reason why you're not feeling as energized and inspired as you would like. And it's the reason why you're not finding that clarity around all the solutions and opportunities that actually exist for you, probably even right now. And the only reason you enter into that survival state is basically because you don't feel safe. Can you see that? And this is what was really clicking for me. And I came across a study that asked a group of people one simple question. The question was, who's got your back? 55% of the participants said nobody. And what was even worse was 60% of those people that said nobody were married. It just goes to show how unsafe people feel on many levels, whether it's in their relationships, their career, their social life. How many times in our lives do we not feel safe to be ourselves, to be vulnerable. 
And as a result, we're going to go into survival. We're going to protect ourselves in some way, whether it's pretending to be someone that we're not or being defensive or distracting ourselves all the time and numbing ourselves. All of that survival behavior turns on and now we're cutting ourselves off from the part of our brain that has the most phenomenal skills and capabilities. So I want you to take a moment for yourself here and reflect. Can you see for how a lot of your adult life, you're actually in a survival state because you didn't feel safe in some way, one way or another. And how do you like to protect yourself from it? Which of the fight, flight, freeze responses do you engage in? So what's important here is to be in a place of reflection, not judgment. Because guess what? If you start judging yourself, that means you're already in survival state. So without judging yourself, just take a moment to notice and observe. Can you see how a lot of behaviors and actions in your life might actually be a survival response? Can you see how a lot of people around you are in survival state for a lot of their life? Starting to notice this is the first step that will help you start transforming your life and improving your performance, helping you get more clarity, and finally feeling at your best. And I want to invite you on a mission that I'm dedicating my life to now, and that's to create safe spaces. So here's what you can do today that I found to be life-changing for all the people I've worked with. Basically, just step one, start spending some time doing nothing, even if it's for five minutes, so that you can be in a place of reflection. Because if you don't find yourself comfortable with that, doing nothing, it's even more important to do it. Because chances are your natural state has become a survival state. And that's why it feels uncomfortable, because survival emotions like anxiety, stress, or frustration keep coming up. Then take a moment to see all the times that you are in the survival state. Can you see it? So this was really eye-opening for me, and I hope it was for you. We're all surviving from something in our own way. And yes, it's crazy. We're doing it reactively for about 70% of our adult lives. And there's a bigger problem. The bigger problem is that I found out that just like a computer can be programmed to operate a certain way, our brains can be programmed to operate a certain way as well. And we're in that survival state for most of our lives. But if you think about it, we don't do it consciously most of the time. We don't do it sitting there going, I'm deciding right now to react this way. You just react without thinking, right? It's like it happens automatically, doesn't it? And the reason it happens automatically is because your brain's been programmed to do it without you thinking about it. And that means for most of the time, your brain is actually working against you because of it. Because your brain is automatically registering non-life-threatening situations as life-threatening, which is what triggers you to enter into this reactive survival state where you react without thinking. It simply just becomes programming. Now, what does this mean? It means that it's not that you're stupid. It's not that you're not good enough. It's not that you're not smart enough. It's not that you're not capable enough or whatever enough. It's just programming. And it's a habit, mostly for survival purposes, that got programmed in your brain. And it simply happened because of your unique life experiences. 
there is nothing wrong with you. It's just understanding that this is the programming. And just like you can program a computer to improve its results, you can program your brain to improve the results. Because if something's wrong with you, that's going to trigger uh, the survival response, ironically. So this is what's really important to understand. So what can you do about this? The good news is that there's a really effective way you can break yourself free from a lot of the programming that's keeping you stuck. And I'll go into this on our next episode so that you can start the journey of breaking yourself free from burnout, lack of motivation, or any fear that holds you back. I'm going to be talking about the one secret weapon that helps you activate that executive state at will. It all starts with this. And then we're going to show you how to address all of the survival state that's been happening in you, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, that's happening automatically so that you can start feeling and performing a lot better. So I'm really excited to share this next episode with you. Go ahead and click subscribe if you haven't, or check us out at theneurohackingpodcast.com. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening.